We pay our sons an allowance to go out and mow the grass or do whatever. They make more money doing that. The girls are kept inside doing girly things. Mm -hmm. And we set them up from day one. You're going to work harder in a less wonderful environment, and you're going to make less. Providing inspiration and community for women in business of Middle Tennessee. This is Powered by Her with Tiffany Anton. Welcome to Powered by Her. I am Tiffany Anton, and I am so excited today. I have Sherry Deutschman in. I think, I mean, I don't even know how to do a bio for you because I think you've done a million things, but welcome, Sherry. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm excited to have you. If you follow us along on social media, I've posted some clips of Sherry speaking about women-owned businesses, and um, you're just such an advocate for women in business and women being CEOs, women in leadership positions, and I'm just really excited to to dive into all the things that you are. You're the CEO of Brain Trust. Yes. We'll talk about what Brain Trust is. You're the author of Lunch with Lucy. You've been named White House Champion of Change by Barack Obama. So you were able to go and speak at the White House. I'm sure that when you look at even just these little accolades, not that they're little, but the few <laughs> accolades I just mentioned, I'm sure if you reflect back on your life, you could have never drawn this picture for yourself. There was absolutely nothing to indicate that I would end up being an advocate for women or that I would ever own a business or in anything like that. You know, yeah. I grew up in the mountains of North Carolina. I have only a high school education. Um, you know, the only work I had done before I moved to Nashville was cleaning. I had a route where I cleaned gas station bathrooms, um, $5 a stall with my sister. And then I was uh, a maid for some of the wealthy people who had homes on Beach Mountain and Sugar Mountain. That's what I did. That's the only thing I knew how to do. We're going to dig into your story. And I, I have a box of tissues. I feel like I might need them at some point <laughs> in this um, in this journey. But let me take a second to thank our partner. We're excited to welcome Miss Sally's Market located at 212 East Hall Avenue, just off the square in downtown Gainesboro. Miss Sally's Market, you'll find high quality seasonal products that taste so good because they are sourced right in Jackson County in the Upper Cumberland. We believe that locally sourced food tastes better and is healthier, but best of all, buying groceries at Miss Sally's supports your local community and saves you time and money because it is conveniently located in the Upper Cumberland. Miss Sally's offers f- seasonal fruits and vegetables, meats raised without chemicals, hormones, or preservatives. Mm. At Miss Sally's Market, they work closely with local grocers to ensure that you get only the best. And you can get a salad bar daily. Come down to Miss Sally's in downtown Gainesboro, open Tuesday through Saturday, 9 a.m. to 6 p.m., ready to serve you with a smile and a warm Southern welcome. Miss Sally's Market, real food for life's journey. Looks like I have to stop at Miss Sally's on the way back to Nashville, and right? Yeah, 100%. They are. Um, they have the snacks that are just, you wouldn't find them other places. It's a cute little market, you, and they just opened about uh, maybe a month or two ago, um, and their owners are amazing. They have a heart for, for the Upper Cumberland, and it's definitely a place that you need to stop on your way to or from Nashville. Um, they it's, it's a great Miss Sally's Market. Awesome. Local and organic is wonderful. Yeah, for sure. So how do you go from high school education, cleaning, gas station, not even, you know, <laughs> it's the worst of the worst, not even hotels, you know, not the Hilton <laughs> gas station bathrooms to be a CEO of a company that 
really invest into to businesses? How do you? I don't know. Um, <laughs> when I look back on it, I think it was really grit and hunger. You know, I moved to Nashville thinking I was going to be a singer. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was the year the Bluebird Cafe opened. So I got to be in the room with people like, uh, you know, Garth Brooks and Kevin Welch and people like that and to hear real talent. And so within a few weeks, I realized that I didn't have, you know, the goods to be a singer and just left that dream and uh, had to get a real job and ended up, you know, selling cars at first, uh, which was absolutely hilarious story. Um, and and then ultimately found out that my background as a Jehovah's Witness, because I was raised as a Jehovah's Witness, was really good background for sales. Because you learn how to handle rejection. Yeah. You learn how to talk to very wealthy people and the very poor people. Um, and so I ended up doing well in sales. And, you know, after the first couple of really brutal years in Nashville, started making good money. And, um, ended and at up, the time you were a single mom. A single mom. And yep. just, I think that there's kind of nothing. We did an episode about building your empire as a single mom is what we called it. And I think that there's kind of n- maybe nothing that compares to the grit and hustle of a single mom. I mean, you have no uh, other options. I had no family in Nashville. I had no friends and I was working so much. I had no time to build friendships. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you do build some grit and a really thick skin, realizing that I'm the one who has to pay the rent this month, and I'm the one who has to keep the lights on, which I did not always do. And um, Do you think you felt like this pressure to be an example for your kids, too? No, that never occurred to me. Uh, (laughs) It was just strictly survival mode. Yeah. Um, I had, you know, I have one daughter. Uh, She's now 41, almost 41. And uh, she was three years old when we moved to Nashville with not knowing anybody and not having anything. Mm -hmm. And just getting by just barely getting by do you think that there was things in your childhood the way you were raised that you know you we before we started recording you mentioned in the south women are taught to be conservative to be probably more quiet were there things that the way you were raised that contributed to you wanting to kind of build your empire um, oh, absolutely. I saw women, you know, including my mom, squashed and held back always. Um, and especially in a, you know, religious household where women are to be seen and not heard. Mm-hmm. And um, I can't remember, I can't even tell you how many times I heard her, uh, heard her being told um, to hold her tongue. Mm. And um, that always just really rankled with me, that knowing that she had an opinion, she had life experiences too, she had something to offer, and she was never able, she was never heard. Mm-hmm. Do you think, where do you think that the, the shift to um, become an advocate, or maybe it was just always ingrained in you, but to be that advocate for women who have been squashed down and to be able to say, well, I'm not going to be squashed down and I'm going to help you not be squashed down. Wow. Um, in my book, I tell the story, which is very emotional, about at 12 years old, seeing my dad being very verbally abusive to my mother and just taking it and realizing that somebody had to stand up for her. So there were seven children in my family. I was the middle and my dad was always uh, reading scripture to us and quoting. We never had a meal without first having a Bible verse discussed. 
And so I went down to him and said, Daddy, can I read something to you? And I started reading to him something out of um, some uh, Jehovah's Witness literature about how a, a husband should treat his wife. Mm. And he screamed at me, uh, scared me so bad, I wet my pants mm. and ran out of the room. He came down. Uh, he called me a, f- a few minutes later and said, Cher, come back down here. Tell me, Read to me what you were going to read to me. And I read to him the whole passage, crying, sobbing the whole time. And so when I when I got done, he said, um, you're the smartest young and I got. And he said it not because I was the smartest young and he had. He said it because I knew how to approach him. I knew that the only thing he would listen to was certainly not the mouth of a 12-year-old girl. It had to come from the Bible. Mm-hmm. And so I read him those passages about how to treat his wife with respect. And I stood up to him in a way nobody had ever done. And the shift in my relationship with my dad was immediate and awesome. He treated me differently for the rest of his life. He treated me differently. He sought my advice and guidance. Um, As he was dying, he said, you're the best friend I've ever had. Mm. And it was because I didn't tell him what what he wanted to hear. I told him the truth. But in a way that framed it in a way that he would listen. Yes. And so that's, I think I was speaking at Belmont 10 years ago, and somebody said, when was the first time you knew you had power? Man, I just started bawling (laughs) and telling them that story. Now, I'd never shared that story before. Mm -hmm. My siblings didn't know until I wrote about it in my book. My mother didn't know. But man, that's when I knew I had power. And the power of speaking truth to power. Mm -hmm. Um and how it had to be done that um, gave me a fearlessness later so I don't um, I, I don't like having difficult difficult conversations but I don't shy away from them I I feel like that's I, I get that as well people will say well Tiffany doesn't take any that doesn't take crap from people and I'm like but I I do it's not like I'm not gonna you're not gonna make me mad and I go key your car I've never burned anybody's clothes on my front lawn or any I'm not that crazy um but I do want to have the conversations that are important to have I think sometimes women get scared of those conversations um and I think sometimes we feel we have been squashed so much and so it's hard to harness it in the right direction um, how do you think you kind of understood at 12 years old there was a certain way? Because you could have just said, you don't speak to my mama that way. Yeah. But you understood there was a certain way to be respected and heard. How do you, how, what advice can you give to women who are, you know, I think we struggle with that. Women struggle with that all the time. If you're too outspoken, if you're too... Um, strong-willed that was such a a thing for me I was a redheaded strong-willed child and it was you know how do we how do we contain this girl Mm. and um, for me you know and this is still learning process at 41 years old I'm still learning how to you know advocate for myself or advocate for others in the right way that's going to be learned and you know listened to and respected um how do you what advice would you have for women who are like well I want to stand up for myself but I'm too afraid to sound like a bitch well nobody's going to do it but you and 
you know, I think especially Southern women are taught to be nice. Mm-hmm. And we are too nice to our detriment and to the detriment of those around us. I was in the room a couple of months ago with um, the founder of Kind, you know, the Kind Bars. Mm-hmm. And he did a whole presentation about the difference between being kind and nice. And he said, um, nice is not being a bully. Kind is when you see bullying and you call it out and you do something about it. Mm. And so I think women need to understand the difference between the two and start being kind to ourselves by standing up for us. We we'll say that one more time. Let's be kind to, to ourselves. ourselves. I feel like that's that we're terrible about that. We are. <laughs> we are. We put everybody ahead of ourselves. Yes. To, and that hurts them too. Mm-hmm. And I think the the shift that you can see when you do stand up for yourself and the immediate pride and confidence that you get, and it never goes as badly as you anticipate. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I had my first company, I would you know really be worried about those difficult conversations. And so what I did to hold myself accountable was to tell somebody on my leadership team, I'm getting ready to have this conversation. I'm going to say this. And if they say that, I'm going to say this. And if they respond this way, I'm going to say this. And then I made them go with me to have that difficult conversation to hold me accountable because mm-hmm. I couldn't back down and, you know, wuss out yeah. and not say what I said I was going to say mm-hmm. with that person being my witness. And so it gave them more confidence that I was doing what I said I was going to do and that I was who I said I was, but it gave me more confidence. Wow. I did that. Well, and did it nothing ever, bad happen? I was going to say, did it ever go as bad? Some of those scenarios that we play out of, you know, oh, if they say this, or if they, you know, get angry and upset and throw it, you know, whatever. It, it probably you're prepared for those scenarios, yeah. but they probably never go as bad as you have in your you play out in your mind. Never. I think the worst one ever was I was firing a woman, and she said, "If you fire me, you're not who you say you are." Mm-hmm. And I said, how so? And she said, well, you tell the world that this organization it puts people first. And I'm like, yes, mm-hmm. it's people first. It's not person first. Mm-hmm. Your actions put in jeopardy the lives of all the employees. Mm-hmm. You have to go. And um, I never anticipated her throwing back you know, my, my legacy in my face and saying, you're not who you say you are. Yeah. Um, but I had the right response at the right time, I think. Well, and now you're prepared for it. Yes. Well, and I, as I've developed my own personal career and I've become more of in a leadership position, I take it so personally. I take it personally when anybody quits or have been. I've taken it personally, like, what am I doing that I'm not running the culture I want to, you know, I, it, it's always, <laughs> you know, I, it's always me. It's always my fault. It's always my doing. And um, I'm learning. It's. most often it has nothing to do with me whatsoever um but that's just we're we're self-centered people at at the heart of who we are um and so i think it's better to kind of be reflective than to be deflective and it's never my fault but we women can be extreme yeah well it is my nature always to say what was my part in this Mm -hmm. because there's always you know there's two sides to every story and everybody's playing a part Mm -hmm. Um, I lost a really good employee about a year ago um, and it was my fault Um, she kept telling me what she needed Mm -hmm. and I was like no 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 you don't need that you need this Mm -hmm. and um, I'm lucky that I've been able to maintain a really close friendship with her and that um, you know we both learned from it but yeah sometimes it is us well and I think that is like you said taking that time afterwards okay this situation has happened but let's reflect on what 
what what it was so that mm-hmm. we can move on and we can be better as leaders or as employees or whatnot and yeah. and all that good stuff so let's talk about brain trust a little bit tell me what it is and where it started and all that good stuff it started in nashville and we're just getting ready we're choosing in the process of choosing our second and third cities but it is a peer membership for women business owners to help them get first to a million in annual revenue and then to hit 10 million and 50 million in revenue. Um, it was born out of you know the recognition that there's only like only 2% of women um, and only 7% of men ever get their businesses to a million. Mm. But the million dollar mark is pretty critical when it comes to ending generational poverty and starting to create generational wealth and creating um, power. Mm-hmm. So once you get a business to a million a year, you're starting to get interviews. You're starting to have people talk about you. You're hiring more people. You're able to influence more lives. And uh, I was a member of an organization. I am a member still of EO, the Mm -hmm. Entrepreneurs Organization, which is is a global organization. It's a global organization Mm -hmm. for entrepreneurs. Um, You have to, though, be at a million in revenue to join, and you have to own more than 50% of the company. And so that shuts out 13 million women in the U.S., that need that pure membership, they have no place to go. Mm-hmm. So um, I started Brain Trust for those 13 million of us. And this is amazing, but in Nashville already, just in Nashville, in one city, more than 30% of our members have flown right past a million mm-hmm. when the nationals, national average is less than 2%. And several of them are at 5 million. Three of them are more than 25 million. And it is nothing I'm doing except teaching them the process and putting them together with other women who are holding them accountable and pushing them and sharing their lived experiences um, from very diverse backgrounds so you get a lot of rich um, ideas about ways to overcome challenges and to vet opportunities. How important do you think the community aspect and the cohort of women coming together, those connections, how important is that to their overall success? It's critical. It's critical. And I, you know, what, what compelled me, what really made me recognize how important it was to me was when I was in the throes of selling my first company, I'd grown it from my basement to $40 million a year. And what it was your first company? It was a company called Letter Logic, And we printed and mailed the hospital bills for hospitals from from Cookville to San Diego to um, to to DC, and I'd, I'd grown that to forty million dollars a year, and I was uh, in the throes of selling the company from so, your basement. You said right? Yes, yeah. <laughs> we were we got out of my basement about month eighteen. Yeah, uh, and we're in a pretty big factory in Nashville, and um, I was selling it. And the whole process of selling a company is fun and grueling. But it was just when the first offers were coming in that I was um, went through a situation where I felt betrayed by my most trusted employee in a way that could have called caused the whole company to go crashing down, but certainly would have ended the sales process. Mm-hmm. And I had nowhere to turn. I dropped out of EO because I was too busy for it. I, I didn't have a network. I didn't know where to go. Um, have you ever driven somewhere and didn't realize how you got there. Yes. Because you don't remember the trip. Uh-huh. I did that. And I ended up at the um, at a conference downtown where I was supposed to be as the as the guest of my banker. But if Ryan Gosling had been naked on the stage, 
I would not have known it. I was too upset. And so you were um, in your head having all these conversations yeah. as women. I, let me just say, I used to think that 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 was a I was crazy, but we all do that. Yeah, we do. <laughs> men do it too. But I whispered to my banker and said, "I've got to leave. I've got a crisis at work. I shouldn't even be here." And he said, "Okay." Then I whispered to the man on my right and said, "Hey, Derek, I'm leaving. I've got a crisis." And he said, "What is the crisis?" And um, I whispered and told him, and he's like, "Holy cow! Call your EO group." And we called them forums, call your forum. And I'm like, I don't have one. I dropped out like a year and a half ago. Mm. And he said, that was stupid. <laughs> and he said, hold on a minute. And he starts texting. I said, what are you doing? And he said, go home. And I said, okay. And he said, my forum is coming to your house right now to help you solve this. Wow. So his group was all male, um, but men who've got, you know, several hundred million dollar companies, they dropped what they were doing and came straight to my house. And we did the process, which is you sit in a, circle and you say this is the situation that I'm faced with and you give as much of the background as is pertinent to the situation they ask you clarifying questions to make sure that um, they see the real problem and not just a symptom of the problem and then one by one they can share their experiences they don't give you advice and say you should do this or have you thought about that they say I was in a similar situation once and this is how I handled it. Mm. And it was a terrible result. Mm-hmm. Or I did this and actually that worked out pretty well. So when they got through, um, and it was about an hour and a half of this, I knew what I had to do. I had to fire this man. And I had to rejoin EO so that I never was uh, without mm-hmm. uh, that community. Uh, that community. And I, I saw how critical it was to me. Um, and it, it ended up fine. I went ahead and, you know, got the company sold and, and uh, reconnect, uh, joined EO, got a new group, um, and we are thick as thieves. Mm-hmm. And I bring all my problems and opportunities to them and they to us. And that p- community of people who, being an entrepreneur is lonely. 100%. Um, your friends don't understand. They think, well, you could get a job making $150,000 a year or $200,000 a year. And, and working yet, less hours. <laughs> and working way less hours and be able to run the streets with us on Saturday night. Yeah. Um, and so you need a tribe to be able that of people that are like-minded to help you see over the horizon and, and fix your problems. One of my favorite things is that if you are the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. That's true. And I think that that's so... You know, you can glean so much from people who are smarter and and sometimes it can feel intimidating. Um, I don't belong here. I I shouldn't have a seat here. And the more, the older I get, the more I feel more comfortable in my own skin. It's like, well, if I didn't belong, if I didn't have a seat at this table, I wouldn't be sitting at this table, but Mm -hmm. I am sitting at this table. So clearly I deserve to be here. Clearly it's okay for me to sit here. Um, But I think we... That negative self-talk can can talk us down from that often. Yeah, and it's not just about people who are smarter than you, but people who've lived a different life. Because if you're just hanging out with the same people you grew up in your community with in your community um, that have much of the same lived experiences, you're not going to grow as fast as if you surround yourself with people who are nothing like you. Mm-hmm that come from different ethnicities, different um, levels of education and different levels of of, um, wealth. And their lived experiences are different. Mm -hmm. And so they can bring a whole different experience to the table with ideas that you would never have thought of. Well, and I always say that with people when it comes to, you're starting a bit, you have this idea for a business. And if you can 
find a cohort, all these other people and their thought processes and their life journeys are are what your potential customers or clients are going to bring to the table too. And and you think in the way you think, and you don't necessarily have those other experiences. And so finding a cohort that can say, hey, I really love this idea, but have you thought about tweaking this little part? Because to me, that would be really exciting. I would love that part or what whatnot. I think that that is so valuable and people overlook that so often it's incredibly valuable you get so down you know like head down let me work you know it's interesting this i didn't have time for eo Mm -hmm. and i think um so often there's so many things that that we do of especially women we're you know mothers we're wives we're friends we're employees or, or leaders and we volunteer all those things and we don't want to you know i don't have time for xyz I almost would would say you don't have time to not do that because the the amount that you spend that hour whether it's once a month or you know once a week it can really kind of uh, clarify things to make you more successful and make things easier in the long run it could be exactly what you need Mm -hmm. um, and you're not availing yourselves of it tell me about this book so what was Uh, you know what was the motivation behind writing a book was this something that you always wanted to do was this something that you just felt passionate on this specific topic what what was the motivation well the book really is um it's called lunch with lucy but it's really about empathy and leadership and why that is the most overlooked a trait and the most valuable trait because it's what enabled me to go from you know, poverty to uh, wealth, Mm -hmm. Uh, just caring and being able to see the world through the lens of the people that worked for me. And one of the main ways I did that was um, on Wednesdays, I wasn't Sherry, the CEO. On Wednesdays, I was just Lucy, a coworker. And anybody could sign up to have lunch with Lucy. We went to the restaurant of their choice. They brought along whomever they wanted to bring. And we talked about them. Mm. So we talked about I mean, I learned way too much about their personal lives, um, <laughs> their love lives. Um, um, but we, we talked about, you know, what uh, obstacles they faced every morning before they came into work and what their hopes and dreams were. Um, and I got to see them on a different level and appreciate them and hear how my decisions were affecting them. And it was the most important time I spent growing my business. Um, and it was just an hour and a half. Uh, usually it was just that worker and uh, and me. Usually it was just the two of us, but sometimes it was uh, their whole department. They wanted to gang up on me about a policy. Uh, sometimes they brought their parents, sometimes a spouse. Um, there was a young man once that was moving to, um, his mother was moving to Hawaii, and he said, my mom wants to meet you. She wants to meet my boss before she moves this far away from me. Mm. And so he said, she wants to be dinner instead of lunch. Is that okay? Yes. My roommate wants to come. Is that okay? Yes. My brother wants to come. There were eight of them, and we had an $800 uh, tab that night. But his mother left the next week knowing, my son's in good hands. He's got mm-hmm. this work family that cares about him deeply. And um, I you know, de- developed a, a lifelong bond with him through um, that, that relationship that began it had already begun, but it was really cemented. Yeah, I think that. when you, we, we've talked about that at, at work of getting all out of the office and out of the property where, you know, it's just 
stuffy maybe sometimes and kind of letting your hair down a little bit and and both parties seeing the other party as in a different respect yes and i think that there's a value in that of understanding you know um the other side of the coin sometimes absolutely um so how did you find time to write a book on top of running companies and Mm. running and how do you manage what's valuable and what do you what do you add in your life and you're a busy woman with a million things on your plate so how do you do it all uh, I think I do a lot of it poorly because I am kind of overcommitted. And, you know, one of the, I'm a hypocrite because one of the topics that I speak to women about is the power of saying no mm-hmm. and how we've got to be really careful and intentional with our time and say no to anything that doesn't perfectly align with our values and our mission, our personal mission. But, you know, the book, every time I shared my story, people would say, you have to write a book. And uh, so I started writing down stories and eventually I sold the company and then Um, I've got a little place downtown Nashville away from home and spent the time there deliberately writing the book and uh, completing it. And I'm I'm very proud of the book. It's done really well. Um, It's still in airport bookstores, and um, it's won two national awards for leadership and business. And um, I'll get emails and um, phone calls from people around the country and outside of the country who've read it and said, oh my gosh, I'm doing your unique profit share plan. I've never even heard of anything like this. This is amazing. Mm-hmm. And uh, know that you know my experiences are uh, able to benefit others. Well, and how, how much when you reflect back on life is that the bigger global impact of Sherry Deutschman, is that overwhelming is that so proud a proud point for you is that like I can't I I need to pinch myself like when you think of kind of your bigger impact how does that feel for you no I can't even think of it that way I just think (laughs) it's the ripple effect of women Mm -hmm. you know there's that um they're saying that if you give a man a fish he eats for a day but if you teach a man to fish he eats for a lifetime that's usually where it ends yeah and then I say, uh, and I stole this from somebody else, that if you teach a woman how to fish, she feeds the village for a lifetime. Mm-hmm. And it's the ripple effect of women and the way we do business and the way we affect the lives of those who work for us that has an exponential effect in a society. And that's one of the main reasons I'm doing everything I can to help women start and grow and scale their businesses. Well, and one thing that I think when you are a, a, an advocate for women or I, I don't love the worm, the term feminist because mm-hmm. um, there is a negative connotation. I think that sometimes that is viewed or feels like you're a man-hater. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's nothing wrong with teaching a man to fish to, to feed the, the community or feed the, the crowd. Um, and that's okay. But it, it's, it's important to recognize the differences between men and women and honor those differences. Yes. I've always really, really been a huge proponent that par by her does not mean that we're man haters. Um, there are, we have a, a man that produces this podcast. We have men that support most of our businesses, either, you know, they're husband and wife married couples. There's, men are a part of our community. And so to squash them down and say, I'm woman, hear me roar, and I'm here by myself, or I'm only here with my girls, is not, that's just not, it's simply not the truth. No. 
It's not. In, in fact, the first company that I grew, um, I had one investor, um, a man who's taken 42 companies public, 17 on the New York Stock Exchange. And he was he invested in my company. He was the only investor I needed. And now, as I'm growing Brain Trust, it's been only men who've approached me to say, I'd like to invest in this. So, the- And why do you think that is? We talked a little bit about this before we started recording, but why? I mean, this is, <laughs> it could be looked at as the poster business for femininity and yet we don't have women that are knocking at your door saying i let me invest i want to be i want a piece of this i I think we're not as likely to invest uh when we do we invest in things that are very safe we are risk averse which is one of the things that holds us back in business and i think that men are probably more aware right now especially men who are investing in the stats around investing in women um the kaufman foundation uh, first Round Capital, and uh, Boston Consulting Group. The Boston Consulting Group study was amazing. It followed a, a venture capital firm or a series of venture capital firms for just five years. And at the end of five years, they determined that the women they'd invested in had outperformed the men uh, when it came to cash by 10%, but they'd only invested a tiny little bit in the women. And so they extrapolated the data to determine if they had equally invested in women and men, not taking anything away from men, but equally invested in them. Over that little phase of uh, five years, they would have made $85 million more than they made. Mm. And then Kaufman Foundation, too, is saying that women outperform men by a minimum of 38% on return on investment. And, and so many studies are done right now that say we take less money and we turn it into a whole lot more. Mm-hmm. We're building better companies. And so really savvy investors are going, hmm, the data is there. Let me lean into this. Why do you think that is? Why do women take less and make more? Um, oh, man, I could talk an hour <laughs> about this. I think we set our daughters up from this from the time they're born. The data shows that we give our our daughters less allowance than we give our sons. Mm-hmm. We pay our sons an allowance to go out and mow the grass or do whatever. They make more money doing that. The girls are kept inside doing girly things. Mm-hmm. And we set them up from day one. No, no, you're going to work harder in a, a less war, less wonderful environment, and you're going to make less. It's so interesting because just thinking back to like what are you know, teenage jobs. And teenage jobs are mowing grass, typically, or babysitting. Uh-huh. And um, when I was babysitting age I remember making two three dollars an hour and I'm sure that nobody was cutting grass for two or three dollars an right. hour and right. that's so, like but it was just it was what it was it wasn't there was nothing that that made me at the time I didn't feel like well if I was cutting grasses I you know I, it wasn't like that it just was this is the way that the world works and there's nothing that prevents a teenage girl from cutting grass and making the same amount of money guys do but mm-hmm. we set them up thinking we make them think they're less and they're Mm -hmm. not there's a lot of talk about representation matters so it matters to see somebody that looks like you and and a lot of times it's within race or the lgbt communities um and i feel like sometimes it's like oh we're we're over the women women being making less or you know we women have the right to vote women are equal we're all equal but i do think that investment part of things representation matters if you don't see other women that are taking risks with their money or, or investing or standing up and saying, yeah, like 
like the things that you're doing um other women don't follow suit with that do you feel like you have this maybe not a burden in a bad a responsibility. way responsibility yeah responsibility a responsibility to be loud and vocal when women are getting investors uh, when women are breaking through barriers when they're creating companies that are doing something really special when they're creating companies that are helping them support their families totally um, so a lot of organizations like mine are just looking for the unicorns um, and we're not I think if we can help a woman get her hair salon from 140,000 a year to $500,000 a year that's game changing for her and her family for at sure. the same time if we can help a woman get her tech business off the ground and see her become a billionaire you know we have that responsibility too but we have to be vocal about promoting other women and um, unabashedly telling others about their success well and I think that that is that's that being a vocal point for other people Um, you said something about being loud about it but I think again when you're not harnessed in the right way women can seem that term loud sounds bad aggressive and and women who stand up and advocate for change or advocate for what they need sometimes it it can get come across I I mean I say about myself a lot I'm like I think people find me intimidating and I don't understand that I really care about people I have a good heart and I don't understand that intimidation factor but I think you know in my 30s I probably didn't harness it in the right way Mm -hmm. to be respected men didn't either in their 30s you know we're all growing up we just get saddled with just a lot of baggage that we don't need yeah Uh, and and we have to be mindful of it ourselves are we judging other women that way Uh, I think we're way worse than men are yeah Um, and so being aware of it and and tamping it down and yeah I do think and I think that the women who can acknowledge that and say you know we are judgmental about other women and how can we make those changes and just acknowledging a truth gives so much power or takes power away I guess from it of, of okay let's just honor this know that this is something that we do and let's try and pivot away from that and, mm-hmm. and be better yeah let's talk about the White House um okay. so how did that come about Were, what, again was this a pinch me moment of I'm going to the White House I'm going to talk well um it wasn't exactly like that I was um <laughs> Ernst & Young has a, a national, uh, a global contest every year called the Entrepreneurial Winning Women. And I won that in 2009, and that got me a ton of free press. And so here I was featured in the New York Times. This girl with no education uh, featured in a big article and pictures in the New York Times about leading uh, a company with empathy. And from that, I was contacted by the U.S. Secretary of Labor, Tom Perez, who called me, talked for me about 45 minutes and said, can I come down to your company and I want to witness this for myself. And uh, so he spent the day with us at Letter Logic, uh, seeing you know what it was like to run a factory with an employee first culture and learning about all of our benefits, which were crazy, which is why we were so successful. And then um, he went back to the White House, obviously, and talked about me. So then um, you know, I'm named a White House Champion of Change. I was invited to the White House to meet President Obama, and I didn't get to go because I had too many other commitments. Mm-hmm. And so I was invited. How, do, how does that happen? What other commitments? I know are? it's one thing. It's one of my biggest regrets that mm-hmm. I should have canceled everything. But I thought, no, I. It's like saying yes to a prom date, and then a better prom date comes along. That's yeah. really gross, you know. Yeah. 
And so I thought, well, I will get to meet him at some point, and I think I will. Yeah. And so um, I, I didn't go, and I, I wish that I had. But later, I was appointed to the National Women's Business Council in D.C., which is just a very small group of uh, 14 women to advise the president, Congress, and the SBA on, on um, issues related to women and, and business. And then I was invited back to the White House and got to go bowling in the White House bowling alley and <laughs> got to see behind the scenes. I didn't and even know there was a White House it's bowling It's really alley. cool, actually. <laughs> and then this past year, I was invited to the White House um, Christmas dinner and got invited again this year. Also, can't go. It's, yeah. it's this weekend and I just couldn't go. You just let me know when you need me to fill in for y'all. You'll I'll... be my date to go with me. Because <laughs> yes. it's always either my husband's too busy or I'm too busy. So Yeah, yeah. That's, um, I mean, there are things that it's, it's just, you look at your life and you're like, I mean, I do this and I'm nowhere near the, the reach that you've had, but it, I started a mentoring program in Kenya with wow. with women that are um, young women who sometimes will sell their bodies to yeah. get a ride to school in the morning. And so just being able, and, and I FaceTime with them and I think they, they look at me and they're like, oh, you're, what do you, and I'm like, I'm just, you know, I, I live in a small town. I, I'm trying the best I can, but it, it's not this huge global impact, but it feels, it feels good. You we know, we all got to do all we can mm-hmm. for each other. And I think to me thinking, okay, if, if I have this ability to impact and support others, I need to use that. We, we do. We it's, do. it's, yeah. it's a responsibility. What do you see? Um, I mean, over the past 30, 20, 30 years, you've built businesses, you've wrote books, you've spoken tons. What do you see the next five to 10 years looking like for you? Do you think you'll slow down? Do you think you have more to accomplish in life? I sure hope so. Um, it's funny, especially my sisters say, you've made all the money, why don't you stop? Uh, yeah. um, and they don't understand that here I am in my mid-60s working as hard as I ever have, mm-hmm. there's still a lot of work to be done. So, um, you know, I think a brain trust will definitely be a global concern. Um, and uh, I'll be working part, probably as chair emeritus um, and doing speaking engagements for them and mentoring young women. Um, I'm not quitting. Well, in brain trust, I think people would look at it and say, that's a company it is. isn't that a passion project for you you know mm. isn't that but I think that's part of what makes strong women run businesses is that we can take what is maybe viewed as a passion project we can figure out how to make it a business we can figure out how to have a bigger impact and grow it and scale it and and figure out what the ingredients are that make this successful I think that's that's kind of the, the beauty behind women-run businesses. Can I give you two quick stories about yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. About a year and a half ago, a young woman came to me and said, you know, she was living on food stamps, has three kids, single mom, also helping her mother who has dementia. Her mother's living with her. And her dream was to own a home. But she can't. She can't even pay her bills. Mm-hmm. But I found out that she was certified in every area of dementia care. And that was the work for which she was being, being paid $20 an hour. And I rarely give advice, but in this case, I said, I need for you to quit your job. Mm. I'm going to help you find your first patient at $85 an hour, and you're on your own after that. That was a year and a half ago. She's bringing in almost forty grand a month. Mm. She has three employees, life-changing for her and for her children. Mm-hmm. And then a woman who joined Brain Trust nine months ago, who um, I think her revenue was about 100 a year, and 
she called me before she was even assigned to her group and said, do you have any experience in dealing with people on a retainer basis? Because I've got a new client that wants to work with me that way. And I think I should probably charge like 30000 a year, but I don't know. And I said, I have zero experience in that, but let's put it out on our network. Um, and we've built a portal just for this. See who can help. Immediately, six members said, yes, I can help. She signed them in that week for hundred grand a year and then got two more. So in her first year with us, she will hit a million in annual revenue. And it's nothing I did. It was the lived experiences of the other women going, oh, I know, I know the answer to that problem. Mm-hmm. I can fix that. And them helping one another. It is game changing. Well, and I, 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 I'm sure there's women listening to this right now thinking, I don't have time to invest into that. And again, I go back to what we said 20 minutes ago. You don't have time to not do that. That's exactly right. And I think that's so often you just get so deep into your business and you, you know, just like you said, I didn't have time for EO. I quit. It wasn't valuable. And and you really have to think of the bigger picture of yeah. how much time do you quote unquote waste spinning your tires with things that you could reach out to. And women have that heart to give and to serve and to connect with others. And so you can save so much time, effort, money by connecting with other people who are in a similar situation. I think sometimes we you know, go out on a Friday night and have a drink with our girlfriends, but if they're not living in the entrepreneur world, they're going to say, yeah, go do it. Go, yeah, you got this, but not give you concrete, you know, advice. Yeah, I, I think getting together so that the meetings are four hours long. They're so important um, that our members, we've got women that drive from Atlanta, mm. from Birmingham, from Evansville, Indiana, um, because it's so important that they're willing to make that trip, mm-hmm. the travel with overnight stay sometimes and a four hour meeting. And so we know that we'll be, you know, warmly received as we choose our next cities and the exponential effect of a brain trust is, it's going to be amazing. Is there going to be a brain trust women's conference? Oh, there already is. Oh. It's called brain trust live. We just had our second, um, our speakers are women who've built multi hundred million dollar companies. But the rule is you cannot come in and say, rah, rah, look at me. I did this. You've got to come and share your biggest mistakes and what you learned from them. Tell us about when you couldn't make payroll. Tell us about when one of your investors went rogue and almost overturned the whole company. Uh, Tell us when one of your celebrity spokesmodels for your company uh, totally screwed up the product line and the messaging. Uh, Tell us that. Yes. Because we'll learn way more from their mistakes uh, than we will from their triumphs. And again, that's that kind of, maybe it's a Southern thing. Maybe it's a woman thing. We're not supposed to, we're not, we're not supposed to make mistakes. We all make mistakes and we all have them. And let's just be honest and put it out there and and recognize it. And so that we can help others learn from it, then cover it up. Yeah. The the first year, our keynote speakers were the founders of Tomboy X, which is a Seattle company for, it's an underwear company for the LGBTQ community. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. They're amazing. This year, our keynote speaker were the two founders of uh, the Elf on the Shelf. And so sharing their stories and their biggest mistakes. And uh, you say we have speakers all day long, but with that common theme is learning from the mistakes of others, Mm -hmm. which is what Brain Trust is all about. Yeah. 
which is uh, it's so needed, so necessary. Um, I feel like I could talk to you for another three hours and people would be like, I don't want to listen to this podcast anymore. <laughs> but um, I really appreciate you being here today. I, I think that this will definitely touch so many of our, our audience members. How can people get in touch with you or follow along with the things that you do? Or I, you can order your book. Most bookstores, Parnassus and Nashville. Uh, let me just shout out to the Plenty Downtown Bookshop. Um, and so we can, we'll have them stock it here. And um, if they want to connect with you on LinkedIn or... I'm Sherry Stewart D on LinkedIn, but it just uh, Sherry Deutschman on um and uh, Brain Trust is ourbraintrust.org. We are a for-profit entity. We have a .org URL. And I, I highly recommend, I think that there's a lot of resources on the website that people can look through and, and just kind of understand what you're doing. And um, it's just what, what you're doing and how you're changing women in business, I think is so impactful and incredible. And I'm just honored that launch Tennessee brought us together and um you know I'm honored to get to know you I'm honored to be here thank you so much if you want to know more about Powered by Hurt head over to poweredbyhurt.com join the community support the cause and we'll see you next week